Okay, remain in your seats. First, first, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might have the right kind of heart to implement this exhortation. Open our eyes that we may see your blessings, recognizing the reason why we should rejoice and in whom we should rejoice. We ask, Lord, that you'd touch us once again this evening, uh, prepare us for a few minutes of prayer by reminding us what we already possess. Bless, we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. There are a lot of people in this world who are willing to do the hardest and most extreme things in order to be saved. Some of them will beat themselves. Some people will cut themselves, thinking that in some way they're earning God's forgiveness for their sins. There are people who starve their bodies. There are people who starve their emotions, trying to earn some sort of salvation. When we hear about such people, sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we pity them. Sometimes we rebuke them. Because we know there is absolutely nothing that we can do to contribute to our salvation, start our salvation, finish our salvation. It is all of grace. It is all of God. And for these poor folk who are trying to augment their salvation or create it in some fashion, we pity them. And when we have the opportunity, we try to teach them. Not even the easiest of things, not even the most pleasant of things will contribute to God's grace. And the fact is, we fail even in the most joyful things as quickly as we would fail in the hardest and most detestable things. For example, what if it was necessary to rejoice in the Lord always in order to remain a child of God? How many of us would be children of God if we had to always rejoice in the Lord to maintain our salvation? Considering the word always, would any of us be able to claim a spot at the Lord's table? Paul is forced to exhort us to rejoice in the Lord. Because we are rejoicing rejects. We are essentially ordered to rejoice in our God because we are very paltry at praise. What if in order to receive fresh blessings from God tomorrow, we must be thrilled with the blessings that we have received for the past uh, day? hour? Would we even recognize what those blessings were? Have we been as joyful as we ought to be? If we have to be joyful in order to be blessed, then we're just going to go downhill. Less and less and less blessings. Paul, knowing how poor we are, how easily distracted we can be, how self-centered we are by nature, has been led of the Holy Spirit to exhort us to rejoice. Something's wrong. 
And it's not the Lord. It's not Paul. For our, our meditation this evening, let's think about the three primary words we find here in Philippians 4.4. 4. We have a noun. We have a verb. We have an adjective. We have the Lord. We have rejoice. And we have always. Let's start with the highest of all the nouns in any human language, the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. There shouldn't be any misunderstanding of uh, who we're talking about. I believe that this name, this title, is equivalent to the Old Testament's Jehovah. But Jehovah became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of the anointed Lord Jesus. Was Paul thinking about God the Father? Or was it God the Son when he said, Rejoice! I don't know. And I don't care. I really don't. Christ Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So I'm going to try never to put them in separate boxes. They are, they're linked. To have one is to have the other, generally speaking. If you want to understand Paul to be saying rejoice in God, I will not complain. If you want to say he is saying rejoice in the Lord Jesus, again, that's fine with me. But here's what he is not saying. He is not saying, rejoice in your friends, your family, and your loved ones. While he is not telling us not to rejoice in them, that's not what he's saying here. In fact, elsewhere, Paul tells us, he exhorts us to rejoice with other people, particularly rejoice with them that rejoice. If you want to understand Paul to be saying, rejoice in Christ Jesus, then we, we go from there to rejoice in salvation. We rejoice in the Lord's blessings on a day-to-day -day basis. He sustains all things by the word of his power. To be honest, sometimes it is easier to rejoice in our friends and our family than it is to obey this command. Sometimes. Not always. It's not sinful or wrong to rejoice with your family. It's not sinful or wrong to rejoice in your family. And I won't bother to point out that friends and family often fail us. That's neither here nor there. Paul is telling us to lift our eyes from these people that we love... Sometimes respect, we enjoy their presence. Let's, let's not focus on them, Paul says. Let's lift our eyes toward heaven. Let's look on the Lord our God and rejoice in Him. He deserves far more of our joy than anyone or anything on earth. Furthermore, Paul is not telling us to rejoice in any of the other blessings which he has given to us. 
We're not supposed to focus on all these good things that the Lord has done, and we praise the Lord for those. We rejoice in those things, and our focus is on those things. There is no sin in rejoicing that uh, our bills are paid. There's no sin in rejoicing that there's food on the table. I think we ought to rejoice that God has given us a church with brothers and sisters with whom we can fellowship and draw strength. The Lord has given us a place to live. Perhaps he's given us a car to drive. He's given us physicians to help us stay well. So many other things. Rejoice that uh, you don't have to go on dialysis twice a week to stay alive. Rejoice that you don't have to uh, uh, endure chemo or radiation right now. Rejoice in the Lord's blessings. But above these things, rejoice in the Lord himself. In fact, rejoice in the Lord always. Does that mean we should rejoice in the circumstances of our lives? The circumstances that the Lord has created? And maybe we do have to have dialysis twice a week. Should we express joy when life appears to fall apart? Yes, we should. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience and then some other things. There are blessings in the trying of our faith. There are blessings even in the thorns of our flesh because in the weakness of our flesh, the strength of the Lord is made perfect. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. But again, it's not in any of these that Paul here exhorts us to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Who? Rejoice in Jehovah and all that he is. Almost every attribute of God begs for praise and our constant rejoicing. We we could pull out any number of theology books and just run down the, the chapter on God. Shouldn't we rejoice in the omniscience of God? Well, maybe not. Yeah, we can. He knows what's going to take place when we go around that corner. Shouldn't we rejoice in the omnipotence of God? Well, that's an obvious one. Sure. We should rejoice in the Lord's holiness and His eternality. Things which He has chosen to some degree to share with us. As I say, we should rejoice in everything about our God and Savior. But there's one thing in particular that I'll save for just a few minutes. What is the great verb in this exhortation? It is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. There are no surprises in that word. I suppose it could mean a couple of things if you stop and think about it. Paul could be saying, be happy in the Lord, O happy day. Or he could be saying, praise the Lord. Either way, I don't have a problem. Uh, perhaps both of them are correct. It's, it's a, a simple word, rejoice. But I bring it to your attention because 
Perhaps you aren't aware of how often we find it in the Word of God. In this particular context, Paul says, Again, I say, rejoice, for a couple of reasons. One is that in chapter 3, just uh, one chapter earlier, he's already said, rejoice. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Even in the midst of dogs and evil workers and concision and circumcision, rejoice in the Lord. And then in the middle of all those uh, uh, pithy exhortations that he gives to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, rejoice evermore. Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 12, 7, And ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, and ye and your households, where in the Lord, where in the Lord thy God, wherein the Lord thy God, Jehovah, hath blessed thee. Rejoice in those things that the Lord has given to you. David prays in Psalm 511, let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Later he exhorts us, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, ye righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright of heart. Psalm 32, verse 11. On and on I could go with exhortations like this from the Old Testament, from the prophets, from the Psalms, from the New Testament. Psalm 34, 1 and 2. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will praise His name continually. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Certainly, rejoice is not too hard a word to understand. Perhaps the most difficult word in this verse is the adjective. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Notice in passing that once again, the word doesn't have the letter S at the end. It doesn't make any difference to the meaning. And what does it mean? It doesn't mean part of the time. It doesn't mean when you feel like it. It doesn't mean once in a while. It means ever. Always. Always rejoice. Does it mean rejoice in the Lord when things are going exactly the way you want them to go? That's not what it's saying. The Greek word is always translated always, ever, always, or evermore. It is never translated once in a while. It is always, always rejoice in the Lord. It's the same word we find in 1 Thessalonians 5 when Paul says rejoice evermore, always. It's the same word. So, Rejoice on Monday just as freely and exuberantly as you did while you were hearing the gospel on Sunday. It means rejoice when you get the phone call telling you that you have a, a loved one that's being rushed to the hospital. 
Preacher, I'm suffering with shingles. I'm ready to tear the skin off my body, and you're telling me to rejoice? Yep. I am. Been there. I know what that is. Rejoice when the car breaks down. Rejoice when the dog gets sick. You don't know how much I love my dog. Yes, I do now. Oh, but it's impossible to rejoice in those cases. It is not impossible when we have the kind of fellowship with the Lord that we should have. Please notice that Paul's exhortation isn't about rejoicing in our troubles or in our blessings. It is rejoicing in the Lord, whatever the circumstances might be. In doing some background reading, I I found that Matthew Henry said in regard to this verse, listen carefully, all our joy must terminate in God. My first thought was, wait a minute now, I don't know if that I like that. I suppose that's true if Henry was rejoicing or, or saying that after we have rejoiced in that gift that several hundred dollars which came the other day, then we go on to rejoice in the Lord who supplied the gift. Perhaps that's the way it is. But before I reached that conclusion, I said to myself, no, Brother Matthew Henry, all our joy must originate in God, not terminate in Him. But I think probably both are correct. How is it possible to rejoice in the Lord always? We can rejoice in Him always because we know Him to be the absolute, sovereign, loving God. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us, how shall He not with Him also freely bless our few days and our years upon this earth. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How can we know that all things work together for good? Because we know that He is God. And He loves us. His children. We know by faith and by what the Lord has revealed to us about Himself. We know because the Scripture tells us that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from this God, the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James 1.17 Not only is this true, but also every testing and every troublesome gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. This is what enables us to rejoice always. So how important is this verse and its principle? It's important to us because into every life a little rain must fall and a hurricane, and a firestorm. They happen from time to time. We need to be fully convinced of the Lord's sovereign control no matter what the problems are. We have that little circle in which we live 
and we think that uh, um, if if there's a wildfire and it's approaching my little circle, that, uh, that uh, the world's coming to an end. While the Lord may have a wider circle that He's considering, may have, of course, He has. We need to be fully convinced of the Lord's control, no matter what problems there are. And this verse reminds us to, with this in mind, practice our faith. Exercise our rejoicing. A moment ago I mentioned rejoicing in the Lord as much on Monday as we do on Sunday. As I type that up, I was reminded of a study made by Giles Croft, a British psychiatrist at the University of Leeds. I mentioned this 30 years ago. You might not remember. Uh, Mr. Croft took a bunch of volunteers and he divided them into three groups. This is so simple. I don't know how much money he got for it, but he shouldn't have got more than a dime. He told one group that research has shown that Mondays are always the worst day of the week. The second group, he told them, research shows that there is absolutely no difference between Monday and Thursday, Saturday and Sunday. They're all exactly the same. And then the third group, he didn't tell them anything. And then every Monday morning, he contacted all the people in his study and he said, how are things going? To nobody's surprise, the group that were told expect the Monday blues had Monday blues more often than not. And those who were told Monday's no different than Tuesday, generally speaking, had an average day on Monday. He concluded that the approach that we take to the day or the problem helps to determine whether or not we're going to successfully pass through it. Pretty simple. It is a demonstrable fact that when we approach life practicing joy and expressing rejoicing in the Lord, we will be happier and spiritually more healthy than otherwise. We need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. No matter what life is throwing at us, because our sovereign God is in control, obviously, and he loves us. It may be painful for a while. More importantly than our personal feelings is the effect such rejoicing has on our service for the Lord. If Christ is our Savior, then it should be our desire to glorify his name always. And one aspect of this uh, uh, rejoicing is giving him praise for all things. At the same time, we are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives. In our rejoicing in the Lord always, we have an effective tool for sharing our experiences of God's grace with people who need God's grace. Remember what David said in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. 
The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Not only will God's people rejoice with us as we rejoice, but the lost will be given another reason to sit up and take notice. There's something in this Christianity business. There's something in that heart that's different from my heart. Those people need the Lord. The Lord to whom we should be constantly expressing our joy and praise.